It's February 23rd, 2013, five days before the end of the pontificate of Benedict XVI. We are living historic times, and so, of course, just like any other Catholic with a pulse, I am thinking of the pontificate. Pontificate, a word that comes from the Latin word pontifex, which means bridge builder. That's where the word pontiff comes from. The word pope, however, comes from the Latin papa, which means father. Because it was the word used for patriarch, as in head of the family, it became used to signify priest and bishop. At the beginning of the third century, papa was the term of respect for churchmen in high positions. By the fifth century, it was applied particularly to the bishop of Rome. We've had 265 popes. 205 of them have been Italians, and of these, 106 have been Roman. 19 popes have been French, and 14 have been Greek. There have also been eight Syrian popes, six Germans, three Africans, two Spaniards, one Austrian, one Palestinian, one Englishman, one Dutchman, and one Polish pope. And we know for sure that there was one Jewish pope, Saint Peter. When a pope is elected, he changes his name to signify his new life. The most common name taken by popes is John, which has been used 23 times, followed by Gregory and Benedict, which have both been used 16 times. 43 names have been used only once, and only two popes have taken two names, John Paul I and John Paul II. John Paul I took that name to signify the unity with his two predecessors, John XXIII and Paul VI. Popes can choose any name they want. The only name that is out of bounds is Peter. And, well, Jesus. Jesus is also out of bounds, I suppose. The longest pontificate was Pius XI, which lasted 32 years. The shortest was Stephen II, which lasted just one day. 81 popes have been canonized, and 9 have been beatified. A pope may not be removed even if he becomes incapacitated. However, no pope has ever lost his mental capacity. But, two years after taking office, Pope Clement XII went blind. He also had a severe case of gout and spent most of his 10 years as Pope in bed. As we have recently learned, a Pope is allowed to resign. No one has to accept the resignation, he can just do it. The vacancy would then be filled by a normal conclave, as will happen in the next weeks. Several Popes have resigned, including Benedict XI, Gregory VI, Celestine V, and Gregory XII. We could say that Benedict XVI is resigning, but I would like to say that I think Benedict XVI is the first pope to retire. So, we are living in historic times. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. This week we bring you an excellent show as always. Andrew Santos is here to tell us about a saint that you've probably never heard of. And Sheridan will be joining us for her segment from the Religious Education Congress in L.A. And Krista Matrenko will be here with our news that's in about five minutes. 
Also, because it's Lent, Father Thomas Rosica will be sharing with us a reflection for the second Sunday in Lent. In our second half hour, we're going to be speaking with Kelly Di Domenico of the Canadian Organization for Development and Peace. She's going to tell us about a terrible food crisis taking place in West Africa and what we can do about it. And our featured artist this week is Donna Corey Gibson. Those of you in the U.S. and especially in the West Coast may have heard about her since she has been writing music and doing ministry for a long time now. She has a new album called The Way of the Cross, a song for each station, perfect for your Lenten devotions. And so we begin with a song from that album from the fifth station, I Will Not Refuse the Cross. Oh 
That was Donna Corey Gibson with I Will Not Refuse the Cross from her album The Way of the Cross. And we're going to be speaking with Donna in part two of our program. But now, Chris is here with our news. Pedro, as you know, the world's media have descended on the Vatican in the wake of the Pope's announcement that he would retire. But this past week, the Vatican went quiet. It was retreat time for the Holy Father and the Roman Curia. The Curia are the officials who govern the Holy See. They began their retreat on Sunday afternoon. Leading the retreat was Cardinal Gianfranco Ravazzi. He's the head of the Pontifical Council for Culture. The Italian is also widely seen as a possible candidate to succeed the Pope. During the retreat, Pope Benedict had no meetings or public events. The retreat ended on Saturday afternoon, and in the afternoon he had a private meeting with Giorgio Napolitano, the President of Italy. The Pope's most, most recent public event was last Saturday, and he recited the Angelus from his window overlooking St. Peter's Square. More faithful attended the Angelus than usual. Some 80,000 pilgrims packed St. Peter's Square. And there might even be more pilgrims tomorrow as he gives his final Angelus, and that's going to air on Salt and Light Television in English at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And for more information about uh, the Pope's remaining public events, you can go to saltandlighttv.org slash b16. Of course, Pedro, we should all be praying for the current Pope and Absolutely. the next one, right? Yes. Well, Pope Benedict has asked that we do this during his general audience on February 13th, and he thanked everyone for their prayers, which he said he felt almost physically. Imagine that. Yeah, he did say that. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Knights of Columbus have launched an initiative to encourage even more prayers for the Pope. It's a website called prayerforthechurch.com. That's prayerforthechurch.com, easy to remember. Mm -hmm. And there you can pledge online to pray for the Holy Father. The names of all those who have made the pledge will be brought to the installation mass for the new Pope after the conclave. In addition, you can go to your Knights of Columbus chapter for physical prayer cards to distribute. And also the Knights want you to pledge your prayers with Twitter. You can send a message to at Pontifex saying, I am praying, praying for you with the hashtag prayer for the church. That's one way you can let him know that you're praying for him. Finally, Pedro, as we've reported on before on Salt and Light Radio, euthanasia might be coming to the Canadian province of Quebec. Right. The government plans to introduce legislation that would allow doctors to end the lives of some patients. But many doctors are pushing back. A group is formed called the Physicians Alliance for Total Refusal of Euthanasia. They represent 238 doctors from Quebec, but that number is growing. And they say that legalizing euthanasia puts patients at risk, at risk rather, especially vulnerable people who cannot speak for themselves. The doctors are calling for the public to mobilize against this upcoming legislation, and they're not alone. The Quebec Medical Association has also taken a position against legislation. And to learn more about this Physicians Alliance, you can visit CaringAlways.com. That's CaringAlways.com.
com. Thank you very much. I was very pleased to receive because I, when I received the press release, well, the media made it sound when this the news came up that all the doctors in Quebec were for this, but it's nice to know that they're not. Yeah, we're finally seeing the opposition. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Thank you very much, Krista Matrenko. Thanks for that information. So, prayerforthechurch.com. I'm going to go check out that website mm-hmm. right now. Krista Matrenko, our news producer, he's very busy right now with all the news coming from Rome. Um, if you'd like to comment on anything you hear in this program, if you want to share your thoughts about Pope Benedict s- with us, uh, send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org, or also contact us through Facebook or Twitter. Coming up, Saint of the Week, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Julian Cantor, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour, heard online on Salt and Light Radio at saltandlighttv.org slash radio, also on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129, and on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network in Nebraska and parts of Iowa and South Dakota. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew. Thanks for having me again, Pedro. Deacon so, Pedro. Yes, yeah, so yes, get it right. Deacon. <laughs> Deacon Pedro. Uh, there's a ring to it. I like it. Deacon Pedro. Who's our saint today? Uh, we're going to talk about Saint Polycarp of Smyrna. Okay. Uh, the names are just so fascinating. Polycarp. Yes. Yeah, Polycarp. Um, saint Polycarp uh, was one of the immediate disciples of the apostles, and we trace him to Saint John the Evangelist. Uh, Polycarp really embraced Christianity at a very young age, and he was named Bishop of Smyrna. Um, He was greatly respected by um, the lay faithful. We know that he wrote many letters, and in his time, he ended up forming many holy disciples. His epistle to the Philippians, the only one to be preserved, demonstrates kind of his apostolic spirit, his profound humility and meekness, and uh, most importantly, uh, his great charity. He was known to be a very charitable person. St. Polycarp fought against heresy. He was one of those. He also taught that Christians must walk in truth. Um, Christians should do God's will, uh, keep all of his commandments, and love uh, whatever God loved. Um, Polycarp was very big in promoting that Christians must refrain from all fraud, avarice, detraction, and rash judgment against other people. Okay. Um, he also said that they must repay evil with forgiveness and mercy. He taught that one must pray all the time so as not to be led into temptation, fast, um, to also persevere and um, be joyful. Um, during his, his episcopate, uh, a violent persecution broke out um, against the Christians. During this time, um, though he was very fearless, uh, he retreated to a neighboring village, spending most of his time in prayer. Right. Um, a boy betrayed the bishop. We know this um, in his story. And horsemen came by night to arrest him. Um, St. Polycarp met his captors at the door, ordered them a supper. So interesting. He met his captors at the door, ordered them a supper, and prayed for two hours before he went with them. Um, and the captors stayed and had supper, of course. Yes, ba- exactly. He okay. was led directly to the Weird. proconsul. Um, who ordered him to blaspheme Christ. Mm -hmm. So here we are, another saint, another example of, you know, um, wanting to denounce Christ and the teachings of the church. Mm -hmm. Of course, St. Polycarp refused, and he was to be burned alive. Um, The executioners would have nailed him to the stake, Deacon, but he convinced them that it wasn't necessary. So um, they simply tied his hands behind his back. At the end of his prayer, the executioners set the fire, 
but the large flames formed into an arch, and they they kind of encircled um, around him, but they didn't burn his body. It's yeah, very interesting. Right, right, right. Um, feeling very exasperated, um, officials ordered a spearman to pierce him. Um, such a quantity of blood flowed from his left side that it put out the fire. The Christians wow. wanted St. Polycarp's body, but the centurion burnt it to ashes. This kind of very similar yes. to like Christ's crucifixion. Um, following um, his body being pierced and, you know, the Christians wanting his body, um, his bones were kept as relics. Okay. So um, in the Universal Church, we celebrate the feast day of St. Polycarp of Smyrna on February the 23rd, which is today. Today, yes, yeah. absolutely. Very so good. Thank we you. pray to St. Polycarp. Yes, Polycarp. That's a great name. That's a name that's going to stick. Yes, Polycarp. Everyone's going to remember St. Polycarp on February 23rd. Thank you very much, Andrew. Andrew Santos, our saint expert. In about five minutes, what's happening at the LA Congress, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Christian Matrenko, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. My name is Deacon Pedro. You can comment on anything you hear on this program by emailing us, radio at saltandlighttv.org, or through Facebook, look for Salt Plus Light Radio. You can also write to me on Facebook, just look for Deacon Pedro. And now, Jesus Remember Me, a Lenten reflection with Father Thomas Rosica. Today, Tabor and Golgotha. The awesome story of the transfiguration of the Lord is the gospel text for the second Sunday of Lent. We can only speculate on what lies behind this story. One of the gospel's most mysterious and awesome visions recounted to us by Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Peter, James, and John had an overwhelming experience with the Lord on Mount Tabor. Following the night of temptation and preceding the blackness of Golgotha, the glorious rays of the transfiguration burst forth. Before their eyes, the Jesus they had known and with whom they had walked became transfigured. His countenance was radiant, his garments streaming with white light. At his side, enveloped in glory, stood Moses, the mighty liberator who had led Israel out of slavery, and Elijah, the greatest of Israel's prophets. On the holy mountain, Peter, James, and John were conversing with Jesus about his death and resurrection that would take place in Jerusalem. The three disciples were totally confused and awestruck. Peter fumbled for the right words. Master, it, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three tents, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. But suddenly, out of a translucent cloud, came a voice like thunder, the voice of God. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The experience of Jesus' transfiguration gives us an opportunity to look at some of our own mountaintop experiences. How have such experiences shed light on the shadows and darkness of life? What would our lives be without some of these peak experiences? How often do we turn to those few but significant experiences for strength, courage, perspective? When we're down in the valley, we often can't see Christ's glory. When Jesus' exodus got underway and his apostles and disciples saw what it meant for him, when they saw that shining face bloodied and spat upon, those dazzling clothes torn into souvenir rags, they had to rethink what that glory was all about. His face did not shine radiantly on the cross. 
no chariot of fire swooped down to spirit him away. No glorious musical strains of victory sounded on Golgotha. We might very well ask ourselves, why did God hide all the glory on Mount Tabor where no one could see it? Why didn't God save it for those moments on the cross? Jesus died very much like those who died on either side of him. One of them begging to be saved from what was coming, the other asking to be remembered when Jesus got to paradise. Jesus could not do anything for the one who wanted to be spared, but he did a real favor for the one whom tradition has called Dismas, meaning the dying one. He told them that darkness was a dazzling one, with paradise in it for both of them. This he learned on Mount Tabor, when light burst through all the seams and showed him what he was made of. Mount Tabor is an open window on our future. The profound meaning of the transfiguration assures us that the opacity of our body will one day be transformed into light. But Tabor also tells us something about the present. It highlights what our body already is, beneath its often miserable and broken appearance, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christianity preaches the salvation of the body, not salvation from the body. The most consoling message of the transfiguration is perhaps for those who suffer and those who witness the deformation of their own bodies and the bodies of their loved ones. He will transfigure our miserable body, conforming it to his glorious body. Bodies humiliated by sickness and death will be ransomed. Even Jesus will be disfigured in the passion, but will rise with a glorious body with which he will live for eternity and faith tells us with which he will meet us after death. Before light envelops us, we need to go through darkness. Before the heavens open up, we need to go through the mud and dirt. We must experience both mountains, Tabor and Golgotha, in order to see the glory of God. The Transfiguration teaches us that God's brilliant life included death and there is no way around it, only through it. It also reminds us that the terrifying darkness can be radiant and dazzling. During moments of transfiguration, God penetrates the hardened, incredulous, even disquieting regions within us, about which we really do not know what to do, and he leaves upon them the imprint of his own face in all its radiant and dazzling glory and beauty. Father Thomas Rosica is a Basilian priest and the Chief Executive Officer for Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. Hello, this is Nick Alexander, and I am a praise and worship comedian type guy. You are listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio, and our blog is at saltandlighttv.org slash blog. Sheridan is in Los Angeles for the Religious Education Congress, and so she joins us now on the phone from L.A. Sheridan, welcome to the program. Hello, my friends. Hi, Pedro. Hi, Thanks how's for having it going? me again. Yeah, good. It's really good. It's crazy, as you know, eh? Pedro, yeah. this is a mega event, a real festival of faith. Yeah. Um, this year's theme is Enter the Mystery, mm-hmm. and the Congress kicked off on Thursday with a youth rally which always draws a large crowd. Last year's event drew about 15,000 people. Yeah. And this year's event certainly surpassed that. Yeah. The Congress proper started on Friday and will conclude tomorrow. 
To give you a sense of the scope of this mega Catholic event, there are over 40,000 attendees, and that equals to more than 300 workshops, hundreds of speakers. I'll throw a couple of names out there for you. Father Rob Gallia, yeah. who performed the Stations of the Cross at World Youth Day Sydney. Mm-hmm. Tony Melendez, yes. the world-renowned Amos guitarist who performed for Pope John Paul. You remember that? Yeah, no, they're all Salt and Light Hour guests. Yeah, these guys they're are amazing. They're all featured artists, yeah. Uh, Vaticanista per excellence, John Allen is oh, here. Yes, good. Father James Mellon of the JP2 of Media course. Institute. Uh, Father Jonathan Morris of the Catholic Channel. Oh. Pedro, I'm like a kid in the candy store. I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, it, that's I have. I feel like I have to bilocate in order to go to all these things. You need to meet everybody, yeah. Yeah, there's also a wide range of liturgical celebrations, including Byzantine, Celtic, Indonesian, Nigerian, and even a Teze prayer service. Really? Yeah, it's It's amazing. Many free exhibits, close to 500 booths, mm-hmm. promoting everything from religious art, music, books, you name it, hundreds and hundreds of resources at your fingertips. And that's not all. Every day there have been musical performances by, for example, Jacob and Matthew, Daniel Rose, Cliff Petty, mm-hmm. Dan Shute, Curtis Stephan, and so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, the Congress concludes tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to listening to Sister Maureen Sullivan's address. She's going to be speaking on the church as a mystery, reflecting on the presence of God in our midst. And then Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles will preside the closing Mass. So, as you can see, just jam-packed, full of awesomeness. Yeah, I know. So hold on a second. So who is this conference for? Because it's... You think it's for educators, but I think it's for everyone. Everyone Yeah, it's open to everyone, anyone who wants to learn about the Catholic faith or just seek personal growth. So this is like the conference to go to, the Catholic conference to go to in North America, in 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 the In North America for sure, and possibly even the world, because it is massive, the scale of this event. I know. I I was there maybe 12 years ago. I'm dating myself. Um, and and it was massive, and the Congress to go to then. So I can yeah. imagine how much it's it's grown. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's the biggest thing I think outside of World Youth Day. So it it is like a World Youth Day in a sense, but not just for youth. No, it's for everyone, which is great because it's a real opportunity to invite others who might be curious about the faith to see the whole spectrum. I love the fact that I've been able to go check out Byzantine stuff, Celtic, Indonesian. just shows you how rich, how diverse our tradition is and how many great resources you have at your fingertips. Inspiring speakers. It's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I'm jealous. (laughs) So uh, for more information for anyone else who wants to get out there and attend this event, it's a must. It's a must attend. Yeah. Check out recongress.org. So it's and it's always recongress.org. So that's good. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the conference, Sheridan, and say hello to all our Salt Night Radio friends. All right, thank you. Coming up, a food crisis in Niger and a featured chat with our featured artist of the week, Donna Corey Gibson. So don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. In the summer of 2012, a food crisis struck West Africa in a region called the Sahel. Particularly hard hit was Niger, a country already languishing near the bottom of the United Nations Human Development Index.
If the international community did not intervene, this food crisis threatened to escalate into a famine. Now, our very own news producer, Krista Matrenko, traveled to Niger to learn about the crisis. And Chris witnessed the growing food crisis in the Sahel, as well as the life-saving efforts of the Canadian Catholic Organization for Development and Peace, the Canadian Food Grains Bank, and their local partners. And to tell us now more about that trip and about the crisis, we're now joined by someone who also went on that trip to Niger, Kelly Di Domenico. She's a communications officer for Development and Peace. Kelly, welcome to the program. Thank you. So, what, uh, I mean, I, I guess uh, there's a food crisis, but what does that mean? What is happening in Niger? So, um, what had happened was, if we go back to the summer of uh, 2011, um, there's only one rainy season in the Sahel, in, yeah. in Niger, and they had very poor rains, so the crops didn't grow very well. So essentially, by the time, um, just a few months later, already people were starting to run out of food in their granaries because it's all subsistence farming there. So uh, basically, in the period between when they ran out of grain and to the next harvest, which would take place, which took place um, in the fall of this year, uh -huh. of 2012, uh, people were just essentially running out of food and trying to ration what they had. Basically because they didn't have enough rain then. Exactly, from the previous now year. Now, for people who are geographically challenged, can you kind of place Niger on a map? So it's in, in West Africa. Yeah, and so it's essentially a strip of land that sits just below the Sahara okay. and right above sub-Saharan Africa. So I is it desert or what does it look like? Parts of it are desert and then other parts can be actually quite, uh, when they receive rain, they can be quite green. Um, the difficulty is that they only have one rainy season, whereas other parts um, in sub-Saharan Africa can sometimes have up to three rainy seasons. Okay. So they just have that like one shot. Right, once grow. a year. Now, I I sometimes when we hear about uh, these type of uh, uh, crises in in Africa, mm -hmm. sometimes it points to corruption in the government. How How is that in, in Niger in terms of the government or how that is being handled? Or is there, are there guerrillas? I know they're very close to Mali. Um, definitely this year what contributed was the fact that um, already, you know, the harvest wasn't very good from the previous year, but then the political instability in Mali um, because of the crisis that happened there um, uh -huh. last spring, it led to a lot of refugees and a lot of displacement. So what happens is people cross the border, so they'll go and stay with families. So people from Mali crossing the border into Niger. Yeah, into Niger and also into Burkina Faso. Uh -huh. So, you know, already families are quite large and then they're taking in, you know, um, people. Okay, um, so then that adds to the number of people that have to be fed. Exactly. So it adds an extra pressure um, on people to have enough food and to make sure enough food is spread around. So when you, working here in Canada for an organization, Development and Peace, go over there, how does that happen? How do you decide that you, that's the country, that's the crisis that you're going to help? Well, I mean, we always try to evaluate um, the needs and... What was particular about this crisis was that there was a lot of advance warning. Um, you know, the fact that the people already knew that the harvest was poor the previous uh -huh. year. Um, we were getting, we're, we're constantly in touch with our local 
partner organizations. Right. That's one of our strengths. And so they were already warning that, you know, people are running out of food and this is going to get worse and worse as the months go along um, until the next harvest. So, so when, uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, so we knew that if we could start to do an intervention early enough, it could help prevent further suffering. Okay, so, and, and the local partners that you talk about are, are, are Nigerian, do you say Nigerian? Yeah, Nigerian. Nigerian yeah. organizations <laughs> uh, that, that are there, or church organizations, or both? Um, so we're part of the Caritas Internationalis Network. Okay. Um, which yep. is a federation of about 165 organizations. So uh, we were working with Caritas Niger, and it's all uh, local people who are there on the ground and really know the situation. Okay, I see. So so then you're, okay, so you're part of a, a larger network. Yeah, that's right. It's the second largest humanitarian network after the Red Cross. And that's, and, and it's owned by the church, the Catholic yes, Church. It's yeah, Caritas. Uh, it's a Catholic network. Yes. So when you went, other than bringing Food? Is that the extent of the help, or wh what kind of things were you doing to help? Um, so with the Canadian Food Grains Bank, of which we're a member, that's a, a Christian network here in Canada, Yeah. Um, we supported a lot of food distributions, which help people kind of get through to the next harvest. But we also um, wanted to help a bit more with, um, you know, allowing people to get some income. Uh, so there was what we call cash for work projects, where uh -huh. people will you know, do things in the community. Sometimes it's building roads or um, doing some harvesting uh, well, where they'll get paid and then they have some money to buy food in the market. And, sorry, who pays them? Uh, so, well, Caritas Niger will pay them, but through our support, for instance. So they would be doing work for for you or for the for the particular organization, like the, yeah. the Caritas organization? Generally, the, the work is... Um, to improve the community. Yeah. So the work will always be within the community, but they will be paid by the local right. organization. Okay. And that's always done in conjunction with the local government as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, every year, Development and Peace, uh, your organization, I, maybe I should say the full name, the Canadian Catholic Organization for Development and Peace. It's just such a long name. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> during Lent has a special campaign. Yes. Um, is the campaign this year related to the crisis in West Africa, or is it a different campaign? Uh, not specifically, but our campaign is to raise money for all of our programs. We're okay. in over 20 countries. Um, with We're working with about 90 local organizations, uh -huh. uh, and 10% of what's raised during Lent does go towards our emergency programs, um, which is great because if an emergency happens, especially when it's uh, a natural disaster, it can happen very quickly. Right. We already have money we can draw on to send right away towards, oh, towards support. Um, but with the Sahel, for instance, you know, we, we launched a specific campaign for that as well and raised uh, over $2 million, which is really, wow. yeah, we, we felt really blessed by that. Um, That's amazing. All the support. So we'll be able to stay in the Sahel for probably about two years thanks to that uh, that fundraising. So if people, other than, I mean, other, I guess money is always uh, good, <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, other than giving money, giving money, is there another way that people can help? Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, I think it's really important if people can um, raise awareness amongst the people around them. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, solidarity is, is not just about, you know, giving financially, but uh, keeping people in their thoughts and prayers. And even in, in simple actions, 
in our day-to-day lives, you know, and trying to live a little more simply, right, that can, uh, right. can make a huge contribution. Yeah, yeah, that's a good good advice for Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens now in Niger? Uh, there are still, has the, the next crop gone in the ground yet? Uh, not yet. They did have a good harvest this year. Uh-huh. So the hope is that, um, you know, there, there won't they won't be facing the same challenges as last year. But the difficulty as well is because these crises are becoming more common, mm-hmm. the rains are just not, um, they're less consistent than they used to be. So people are having a harder time recovering from each crisis. So we're going to continue to support people in improving agricultural techniques, um, you know, so they can cope better with, with the conditions. One of the things that people mentioned when we were there was, um, for instance, just the need for fertilizer. Oh, yeah. So, you know, um, sometimes it's it's helping to get projects like that off the ground mm-hmm. where they can have fertilizer production and have access to that to make their crops better. Well, thank you, Kelly, very much for the work that you're doing, for the work of, of Development and Peace, and for sharing a little bit of that with us today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. That was Kelly Di Domenico of the Canadian Catholic Organization for Development and Peace. You can learn more about Development and Peace and their campaign, their Lenten campaign this year at devp.org. And also, to learn more about the food crisis in Niger, you can watch the upcoming Salt and Light TV production, A New Leaf. Krista Matrenko didn't just go there on vacation. The documentary will premiere on Salt and Light TV on Thursday, March 7 at 9 p.m. Eastern and then replay again on Sunday, March 10th at 10 p.m. Eastern. You can get all the information that you need about A New Leaf at saltandlighttv.org slash A New Leaf. And there's also where you can find out about the film screenings because there's one in Ottawa this Monday, February 25th. There's one in Toronto, February 28th. Winnipeg, March 1st. Vancouver, March 2nd. And Victoria, March 3rd. So it, it might be coming to a city near you. Again, you can find all the details at saltandlighttv.org slash A New Leaf. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Donna Corey Gibson, with She Was There from her album, The Way of the Cross. She was there to dry your eyes The first time that you cried She was there again to hold you in her arms She was support for your first steps And to lift you when you fell She's the heart that grew to love you so well And there she is To see you once again No words are even spoken Her eyes reveal the pain Try to walk in her 
That was Donna Corey Gibson with a song for the fourth station, She Was There, from her album, The Way of the Cross. Donna Corey Gibson has been sharing her songs, sung prayers and meditations for many years. She's sung in Catholic churches and prayer groups. She's been on TV and she's a frequent guest at many conferences and events across the U.S. You may have heard her on Catholic radio stations across the U.S. and worldwide on the EWTN Global Catholic Network and also if you do shortwave on the shortwave station WEWN. She's also been on EWTN's Life on the Rock and Backstage and on the Family Land Network's Maria Allen Dom's Inn and the concert series His Love. And now she is on the Salt and Light Hour with me. So Donna, welcome to our program. Thanks for having me. So did you always want to be a singer? Oh my goodness, ever since I was nine years old. And I got a big head when I was little too because everybody told me how well I sang. So okay, so you, you, you would I run around singing all the time 
all the time. And and um, our elementary school recorded an album, and I had a solo, and I was famous in the elementary school. <laughs> So I started pretty young. So, so, but did you, did you want to do be the kind of singer that you are now? Does that make sense? Oh, I know what you mean. And no, no, I was going to be rich and famous on the radio and all <laughs> that. That's all I knew. I didn't know any other kind of music. So did you? And, um, were you not brought up in a in a religious home? Well, you know, we prayed grace on Sundays. <laughs> we went to <laughs> okay. church on Sundays. And occasionally went to confession. That's about it. So I'd have to say no. It was pretty worldly. Okay, but it was Catholic. And we were Catholic. I was a, I'm a cradle Catholic. You betcha. Right, and you wanted to, because you, you lived in New York, right? Did you go to New York because you wanted to be I a did. big... I did. Well, I was born there. We moved to Florida, and then oh, I moved yeah. back because, you know, I wanted that record deal. And um, so you I want, decided... So you go wanted ahead. to be a, a singer or singer-songwriter, uh, uh, like a recording artist, not like Broadway. Yo, Absolutely. No, I did musical theater in high school. Yeah. And I decided that was not the lifestyle I wanted. I wanted to make records. You wanted to make records. They make more money. Um, exactly. <laughs> and were you were you songwriting as a as a little girl and as as a teenager as well? Yeah, I started when I was fifteen years old, and I won a songwriting competition at the local community college. I mean, I had every indication that this was going to be my life for the rest of my life. So, so then what happened? What changed? Where was that conversion? Or sometimes it's it's a gradual conversion, but the, the, was it a moment? Did something change for you? No, it wasn't a moment. When I moved, um, I had taken all my religious books with me. Granted, I had never read them, but I packed them all and brought them with me. And then <laughs> when my life wasn't going the way I wanted to, um, I was doing all the commercial music, and but I, and I was doing it my way. I wasn't doing it God's way. Right. And it, it wasn't working, and I'm like, you know, I, I don't, that's it. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I, and I kind of died to it all. I died to self. And then when, and the next day, I guess, so I guess it was a turning. I decided that I was going to do it all God's way. And I didn't know what that was, so I had to learn. And I, I dove into the Bible, and started a relationship with the Lord and I was going I was okay but wait my prayer time. Uh, so wait back up because so you you did you become disillusioned because it wasn't going the way you wanted it to go that's why you kind of said I don't want to do this anymore no the disillusionment came later um, yeah th- there was kind of I guess it was a two-step process yeah the, the, the major conversion of turning back to the Lord was when my life just fell apart doing it my way right. in New York. And then after um, I decided to give everything to God, I wasn't even doing music anymore. I was a secretary. Right. And I, and I was telling the Lord, you know, I'll be happy. I'll stay here, and I'll be a secretary if this is what you want. But I'm pretty good at music, <laughs> so I, I would like to do that if you would make a way for me. And so I started sending out my demos again, and, and I got the interest of a big-time... Uh, recording studio person in Manhattan uh-huh. and he signed me to a production deal I could record anything I wanted to in this fancy billion dollar studio in, in New York so I was doing that for a while still um, living God's way now you know I had to put now I had to put up with how I was spoken to and um, all the innuendos and the things that go with the secular right. music industry 
and get teased for my beliefs, and I was I was going to my prayer groups, and I was going to Mass more often than just on Sunday. Uh-huh. And there came a point, and this is the second part of the conversion, where um, I didn't want it anymore. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't nice. It, 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 it had no substance to it. I was writing party tunes, you know, have a good time tunes, yeah. and, or love songs that could only find fulfillment in Jesus. Yeah. So I didn't want to be lukewarm and spit mm-hmm. out of God's mouth. Right. So I decided, no, I'm going to be hot, and I'm just going to write for the Lord. And I, But I, even that, it didn't happen right away. I said, Lord, I need a, a fork in the road, because uh-huh. all I know how to do is music. And so if you want me to do something else, um, I need you to put something in my past so I can choose something else. Well, at the time, I was also writing jingles, uh-huh. and, and I wrote one that made me quite a bit of money, and I was able to afford a pilgrimage to Israel. Oh, yeah. And when I went there, I met my husband, who was visiting from Seattle. Okay. So I decided to just quit the whole business. I didn't want anything to do with music anymore. I had lost interest in all of it, and I was just going to get married. <laughs> so I did. Right. And before, that was never a, a, even an option to me. I never... I never thought marriage. Yeah. Married. Yeah. Oh. So I got married and moved away and quit the whole business. So that's when you moved to Washington State. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And um, and my I I wrote a song for my husband. I sang it at my wedding, and my father-in-law heard me sing for the first time. And after we were married six months, he came to visit. He said, "So when are you going to sing again?" Huh. And, I, and I told him, "Oh, I don't do that. I give that. I gave that up." And yeah. he got mad. He banged on the table and said, you can't quit. Good for him. So my out was, well, when God inspires me to do something, right. I'll do it. Right. So, and, and, you know, God held me up to that. I had my weekends available for the first time in my life, now mm-hmm. that I was married. And I went to a Marian conference. Oh, yeah. And I got the inspiration there to sing prayers. Right. Because um, I'm a lay Carmelite, and really my uh, yeah. personality and charism is to just hide away in my room and pray. Uh-huh. I really don't like to talk to people and be out there. So I decided, well, I like music, I'll, I'll sing some prayers, and, and that'll get my father-in-law off my back, and, you know, maybe be some fun at the same time. And I, I made a very simple recording, Prayers from Heaven and to Heaven. Yeah. Very popular Catholic prayers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Music, yeah. You know, things that I think people would like. And it was very successful, and somebody asked me to sing the rosary, so I sang the rosary. Okay. And then from then on, it just never stopped. Well, I just kept recording prayers. Le- yeah, let me ask you about that, because that seems to be how... I- would you define your ministry as as uh, music that is focused on prayer and explaining, uh, or, or, or scripture truth. and explaining the truth of yeah. the Catholic Church? So you, so you take prayers, sometimes word for word, and set mm-hmm. them to music. Right, it helps you memorize them if you can. No, that's them. true. That's true. Magnificat and Canticle of Zechariah from Morning Prayer, you know, Liturgy of the Hours that I say as a Carmelite. I decided, why not sing that so <laughs> I can memorize it and not have to flip around all the time. And right. then other scriptures. Um, that would be that was my third album, um, Prayers from Scripture and the yeah, Church. Yeah, that's right. We made one. And, and now you have this Way of the Cross album, which. I mean, it's not really prayer set to music, but the fact that there's a song for each station, I guess also to help people pray the Stations of the Cross? Well, they are prayers, and they're meditations. I went through seven oh, really? Way of the Cross books, 
and I took pages and pages of notes for each song. Really? And then and then manipulated the words, you know, to tell the story and but then there's a personal response to it. That's the prayer. And all of these meditation books not just focus on the station, but they do have a prayer response at the end. You know, how can I be better? Yeah, how yeah, can of I course. Yeah. What does it do for me? And so it's that to music that really helps you to enter in. And that and I got video of it too. And but the coolest part is that I did not pay for any of this. This is, this is where my record deal that God gave me right. came in. Right, okay. Because this is my eighth album, so I have quite a fan base by now. And yeah. And I'm touring and I'm doing concerts, and I'm mentioning to people this this a new project, Way of the Cross, that I'm working on, and I really need real violins because it's sad. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I can't have a synthesizer, and I, but I can't afford that. Would you like to get involved in the music business? And so the entire project, Soup to Nuts, was paid for by my fan base. Oh my Talk gosh, about that's God's amazing! Deal, right? I that's didn't amazing. need a secular deal to do what I want to do, and it's very liberating because the money comes in and it's earmarked. I can only record music with it. Yeah, it's wonderful. yeah, yeah. So, oh, good for you. And it, and it and it's really fabulous. And I offer two free downloads of songs at my website, DonnaCoreyGibson.com. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if people so wanted to find if people want to find out more, they can go to that website. Um, I love I I listened to the album and I loved. I think the songs are great. They're 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 so they, they as you said they they're helpful as a response to the station, but also to help you enter into the mystery, the the actual scene. Um, yeah. I, I think it's really good and it's really well produced. It, it's really well Again. done. Um, so it's been it's been really good for me to hear it and especially during Lent. I think. Uh, our listeners can can benefit from uh, from either taking the whole album or listening to it uh, on the air, or um, they can go to YouTube, my YouTube site, and they can watch all and the they videos can watch the videos. Okay, great. So Donna, that's all the time we have. But thank you so much for uh, telling us a bit more about what you do and about your music and for sharing it with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was our featured artist of the week, Donna Corey Gibson. You can learn more about her at donnacoreygibson.com. Here now is Donna with the song for the first station of the cross from her album, The Way of the Cross, Behold the Man. We've gone astray Like sheep each one going his own way The Lord has laid The guilt of us all on you We hide our faces Not to see the stripes upon your back Though harshly treated You open not your mouth You wear a crown Woven from thorns And made the fool Without a sound Our punishment you bear He was found guilty And so we think of him As stricken, afflicted by God You are what Pilate says Behold the man This Jesus Beaten man Condemned Jesus 
We're listening to Donna Corey Gibson with Behold the Man from her album, The Way of the Cross. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs on our website, saltandlighttv.org radio. That's also where you can now listen to uninterrupted music all day long. Thanks to the support of wonderful artists like Donna Corey Gibson. Check it out, saltandlighttv.org radio, Christian music like never before. Remember that you can contact us via email, radio at saltandlighttv.org, or through Facebook. Look for Salt Plus Light Radio if you like what we do. And you can also look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook. And join me in my Great Year of Faith Challenge. Week 3 Challenge has now been posted. Thank you for your generosity, for your prayers. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. See you.